0: Welcome to the Right to Reason podcast. I am your host, Robert Stanley. I was expecting a debate between a Trump supporter and a liberal. That didn't happen. The Trump supporter got drunk. It happens more often than you would like to think. But today's broadcast presents a fascinatingly unprecedented scenario. I'm actually happy that the other recording went south because this conversation is so special, the guests end up finding more common ground than the moderator. Listen to this. For three decades after World War II, America created the largest middle class the world has ever seen. During those years, the earnings of the typical American worker doubled, just as the size of the American economy doubled. Over the last 30 years, by contrast, the size of the economy doubled again, but the earnings of the typical American went nowhere. Robert Reich, Saving Capitalism 2015. In one minute from now, a philosopher and a pastor will be discussing the systemic flaws of capitalism. It's the Right to Reason podcast.
1: The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed... You mark my words, will not only save Teldar Paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. As income and wealth go to the top, so does political power. People don't trust that our society is working for most people. Nobody in our society, the richest nation in the history of the world, should be working and not making it. This
2: episode of the Right to Reason podcast is brought to you by our patrons and contributors like me. We have all recognized the value of the unrestrained marketplace of ideas and have decided to make a difference. You can make a difference too. Contribute at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more about your right to reason at therighttoreason.com.
0: Your activism is appreciated.
1: Today
0: we're joined with Tyler Trailer from St. Patrick's Presbyterian Church and also Michael Makowski. Michael's a philosophy writer, a personal development coach, and a teacher. Gentlemen, I'm so happy to have you.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Thanks for having us. I wanted to talk about capitalism today. One of you likes it, one of you doesn't. But before that, I bought this house back in 08, right at the housing collapse. It is older than I am, and the AC unit continually goes out. I've had these repair guys come out over and over and over, and this last time they came out, they gave me the bad news. They said, look, I hope you got an extra five grand, because it's done. You got to replace it. Since the Great Depression, uh, 1929 to 33, we've had multiple recessions. The system keeps failing. There was 37, 45, 49, 53, 58, 60 to 61, 69 to 70, 73 to 75, 1980 recession, 81, 1990 recession, which you might be a little skeptical there, but this is very early 90s and we had a whole decade after the tech bubble and everything of just smooth sailing that led to a whole lot of really bad rock and roll music. Early 2000s recession, then obviously the Great Recession, 2007 to 2009, 2008 was when we kind of remember it the most. This system keeps breaking. It's not working. we got to replace it. But would that, would that be a fair characterization of, of your point, Tyler?
2: It would be, but probably not for that exact reason.
0: Capitalism
2: is hard to judge empirically. Um, I think we're always bringing our own biases to text, as it were, and so you know, if you're, if you're a Marxist, you're gonna bring your bias to the text of capitalism. If you're a capitalist, you're gonna bring it your capitalist perspective. Um, when it comes down to issues of like boom or bust, if we're judging it empirically, from my perspective, it seems like that's a part of the cycle, but overall there are trends of upward growth. And so from a functional standpoint, from a purely pragmatic standpoint, I actually do tend towards the position that capitalism works. I think it functions in pursuit of its ends, but I think its end goal is faulty. Oftentimes you see this type of pursuit of nominal wealth or nominal power. And what I mean by that is that it's this sort of created wealth and created power within our context. That's what capitalism is often pursuing. Capitalism has trained us to think about things in terms of GDP growth, in terms of boom and bust, in terms of wealth and non-wealth. But for the Christian, which, which I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective, the real wealth and power isn't to be found in the things of this world. For the Christian, the fundamental narrative that capitalism is offering is a kind of false narrative. But it's this narrative that we've all bought into that says that the pursuit of wealth and power is a good and worthy thing.
0: Um,
2: and, that, and it's not to say that wealth and power are bad, but it's to say that they shouldn't be the things that our political life is centered around.
0: Michael, would would you agree with that, that one of the flaws of capitalism is just incessant greed?
2: Well,
3: once again, Robert, you've managed to find a person with whom I will find it very difficult to disagree, but I'll do my best. (laughs) It's interesting because I've been uh, I started exploring this very thought just very recently, writing about how capitalism is similar to science in the sense that it produces wealth, but it will not tell you how to use that wealth. In the same way that science produces technology, technological wealth, let's say, but it will not tell you how to use it. I was trying to get to to the point where I was saying that there there is no morality in capitalism. Although it's, uh, I, I would go back kind of to the Churchill thing. I mean, he was talking about democracy, but he said, you know, democracy is a terrible system, but it's the best that we've come up with so far. I think if you want to boil it down to the most bare bones perspective, that would be what I would say about capitalism as an economic system. I mean give me something better uh, and and I'll I'll listen at, at the very least right it's uh, Dave Mustaine if there's a new way I'll be the first in
0: line Well here's one of my objections to it is impacts free speech you guys are both big proponents of free speech i'm sure the first amendment right Mm -hmm, of course in 1976 buckley versus valio struck down limits on independent expenditures uh citizens united i know you guys recognize that one versus fec 2010 eliminated limits on corporate expenditures for or against an opponent as long as not coordinated speechnow.org versus fec also in 2010 individual donations to independent groups that advocate to influence elections cannot be limited to $5000 so they can really just give them what they want they can use their money as speech they can strike down all the things that were preventing them like independent expenditures preventing them from monopolizing on our democracy. Those with money equal those with power, and if somebody has a disproportionate amount of power in terms of free speech, that means I have less speech. So
3: what you're talking about here is like the super PACs, wealthy people having political influence. Uh, you, you you said something interesting, Is said money is power, and that is completely true from an economic point of view, because if I have money, I can use it to hire people to do things that I want them to do. That That is the whole essence of capitalism, is to leverage the power of others. Uh, and the better you are at doing that, the more money you make, so there, therefore you can leverage more power. The distinction being that in, in capitalism you are leveraging creative power. That is to say, um, concrete power to move matter, move and modify matter. You're talking about political power. And the thing you're saying is that, well, because these people have more speech in the sense that they buy uh, political persuasion, let's say, and therefore by politicians, uh, they can change the laws of the land to to their win, to, to to the exclusion of those who cannot afford to buy such political power. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and in a way, you are right. But my counter argument would be that in the market, not within the realm of politics, but in the market, there are alternative means of communication always being developed Um, The fact that you have a podcast is proof of that. So the the thing about capitalism as opposed to various political systems is that it's self-correcting, right? Uh, You, uh, earlier you mentioned the failures of capitalism. An economist would call them corrections. And one of the ways it it self-corrects is it fights against monopoly and one of the ways it, it does that is through innovation, technological innovation. So the battleground for speech that you're talking about I think is almost in a bygone era. I mean, we're definitely in a transition era. I think the bigger battle right now is, is with uh, the big tech companies because um, we're getting into a moment where the Wild West days of the internet are done and the internet is being consolidated into a few hubs, namely places like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Google has a huge monopoly. Like, if you, if you look at it realistically, the, the monopoly these tech companies hold. Is absurd and obscene. It's, it dwarfs even the the robber barons of the of the 19th
0: century. Yes, and, um, and they're very liberal. They are obviously stifling conservative viewpoints online via Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We we could find agreement there, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. But but to me, I mean, it it, it goes even beyond that. What they're, what they're stifling is independent creators such as yourself, and they're uh, creating more uh, an unfair advantage for the dying media. Right. So like right now, from what I understand, um, based on on many YouTubers that I follow, starting January 1st, YouTube is implementing a new policy where they can basically shut you down if they deem you to to be not profitable for for YouTube. Right. So that if you're a tiny channel and you have, you know, a few hundred views, then YouTube might just say, well, it's not worth it to keep you on. Bye bye. And what this does is they're they're constantly making their content policy stricter and stricter. Uh, and so they're watering down the content that is being produced out there. And that's the main, one of the big um, advantages independent creators have over, over big media is you can say whatever you want, you can be as edgy as, as you fucking want on, on independent media, but on TV, you have to follow the scripts, you have to fit in with a within a certain timetable, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, you have the, the little political segments talking heads. And the, the mainstream media is really, really boring. Once you get into the groove, alternative media, it's just I,
0: I cannot stomach mainstream media anymore. Right, but as right, soon as you YouTube- Mike, Mike it's, but it's because of advertising. They're crunching these little segments down into small little areas because of advertising. And they're only allowed to say certain things because they don't want to offend the people giving them money. No, they're never going to do a bad segment on MSNBC or Fox News on how GE is profiting from the military industrial complex. They'll never have that. But at the same thing that's happening right now on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all these different outlets, it's private property laws are having a negative effect on your free speech. You don't have the same rights to speak as a conservative that I do as a liberal. And just because my side's got the power in that regard doesn't mean that I like that game. Just because we got the ball doesn't mean I'm like, oh, let's run into the end zone. No, like I recognize th- this is not fair. And you can't just blame the government for that, man. This has to have a socialized response to it. This has to have some kind of a way to fix where the market went wrong. Well, I mean, you're getting into the territory of uh mass psychology and mass manipulation and
3: mass communication i think that's a little bit different than just capitalism as an economic system like okay i'm like i said earlier i'm all ears to various modifications to the to the political system that we have right now or political and economic limitations that we have and so on but the the question is what do you want to limit how do you want to limit it and how are you going to make sure that there is no blowback that there are no unintended consequences and your attempt to make things better in the long run actually makes things worse. You get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Okay. So that that was me feeling like I was finding common ground on how the capitalist market affects speech. And and I think you do have some common ground with me there. I just don't think you feel comfortable admitting it because then you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go government power. <laughs>
3: of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit like I would simply state it a different way. You're stating it within like like a postmodernist uh, almost neo marxist power struggle thing, yeah, and to me that's kind of that's that's not what it's about i would i would state it in, in the sense of like in the sense of the dumbing down of society that that's what I would view as the biggest problem, right The biggest problem isn't that g e is is in cahoots with with all of these people the the biggest problem is that people Raytheon. listen to them. the biggest problem is that people. Take cues from mainstream media and Hollywood as to what is normal and what is acceptable, and essentially are willfully participating in the gradual decrease of their IQ, their intelligence, their let's call it passion for life, their sense of higher transcendent values. And maybe maybe uh, Tyler can can weigh in on that.
2: Mm-hmm. So this kind of gets down to to what is actually my fundamental position concerning economic politics. Christians believe in in the centrality of a fundamental doctrine of grace. It it is central to the Christian meta-narrative. We believe that humans are sinful, and yet there is a God who has bestowed grace on his people. We're called to live that out in a life of Christian response to that grace. We're supposed to live lives of grace to both those in the church and outside the church. Why does that matter? Because when it comes to you owning a business, you need to be able to carry yourself in a position of grace. I have a friend who uh, just started up his own entrepreneurial small business, and he would identify as a Christian. And one of the guiding principles of his business is one of these people haven't necessarily earned, quote unquote, $20 an hour, but I'm going to make sure that they're getting $20 an hour because I have grace and I'm extending that grace to them. When we take that idea and we place it into, say, the media, say YouTube. There's no grace for the little guy. It is all about raising the dollar margin. It's all about increasing money and power. When your ends are money and power, I really do think that you're going to throw grace out the window, throw ethics out the window for that end. Um, But I think it's central. I think it's central to a functioning economy. I think it's central to a healthy life and a good business.
3: So so what you're talking about, Tyler, is people who willfully spread their wealth because they understand that in the long run, and by the long run I mean in the infinite long run, that is the best thing to do, that is the most valuable thing to do. So whether it's a business owner who's paying more money to his workers, or uh, a media tycoon who decides to give more access, the idea is uh, share and share alike. But the key thing that I think you're saying is that it's willful. It is not delegated or enforced by a legal system, meaning no, no third party comes in and tells me you have to do this; otherwise, you're going to pay a fine or you're going to go to jail. Am I understanding that correctly?
2: Yes, you you are understanding that correctly. Um, I think that the scriptures kind of tell this narrative. Um, I'm I'm thinking of Saint Paul. Um, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he basically says um, there's need among you. Make sure that you're sharing, but share fairly. You know, we're we're not trying to create a sort of equality of outcome across the board within the church where every single person uh, makes exactly $25 an hour for all of their labor. But we're trying to make sure that the pastor is actually getting paid. We're trying to make sure that the low-income worker, when they have car problems, actually is is receiving help and outside help and outside grace that's being extended to them. And it is willful. And the reason being, it's really hard to to delegate the exact nuances to every transaction. For the Christian, the, the church isn't so much a legal institution. It's not like a social contract. It's often described as a family. It's described as brothers and sisters in Christ who know the nuances of each other's lives, who are able to serve each other in that capacity. Um, so I think extending that, that kind of vision into our broader political life is necessary. So to, to directly answer your question... Yes, it is willful
0: well we're, we're Tyler's kind of making an argument from Christian ethics and and Michael I I know you you more of an agnostic but I think you lean toward Christendom to some extent would that be fair of course let me let me make this point to both of you um Matthew 6:24 Jesus says no man can love two masters he'll love the one hate the other you cannot serve both God and money Luke 12 15. Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus was a socialist.
2: Well, hang on. Let's let's talk about this real quick. In those passages, does it say that he's advocating for the state to come in and delegate where the money goes?
0: Yeah, he certainly supported giving the money through taxes. Hang
2: on. <laughs> giving the money away is different than the state determining that. That's what a tax is. So, so I affirm a tithe. I affirm a sharing of wealth, but I'm not confident that Jesus is establishing a socialist state as much as he's establishing a gift giving ethic.
0: Yeah. He didn't know what the hell that was because he's sure. Back when so, people were so, still fucking goats, but you know,
2: no, exactly that, that was, though. That's just it. it I, I want to be clear. He's not establishing a socialist state, but he's it, establishing an, an ethic.
0: Yes. Which is the altruistic nature of, socialism slash communism not that i'm trying to present an argument pro-communist i'm just saying the two of you as as christians or even mike maybe being a cultural christian i would think that this would be a major defense at least morally speaking
2: and and i just want to be clear i i affirm his ethic you know i i believe that he's teaching a good ethic the question is how do you apply that ethic i think we diverge you and i maybe not but i don't affirm that he is teaching a state controls this ethic. I think he's encouraging the church, which is a communal and individual entity, Matthew. to live out that ethic.
0: Matthew twenty two twenty one: Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That sound and
2: and what does it say after that?
0: Uh, give to God What's the, the stuff word? that's God or something like that.
2: So so this is this is vital for you to hear. I'm I'm gonna I'm serious. This is the crux of where I want to go. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. The context of that passage someone has come up to Jesus with a coin and said, essentially, like, what do we, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And it's kind of implied Jesus takes the coin and on the coin is a face of Caesar. Um, if you look up Roman coins from the first century, that's Caesar's face is on there. It's his image is instilled on the coin. And so what does Jesus say? This damn metal coin with, with Caesar's image on it, if Caesar wants that tax, give it to him. It doesn't matter. But you who have the image of God instilled onto you Give yourself, give back to God what is God's. Live your life in light of the teachings of Christ. It's not so much a establishing a state. It's saying if the state wants your money, give it to them. It doesn't matter. What matters is living out of the gospel. Giving yourself, who has the image of God, give unto God what is God's.
3: Does that make sense? I, I think that is spot on. Like that is like I like I want to give you a standing ovation for that one. <laughs>
0: Nailed it. Totally. Paul did say, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And Totally. I, I recall somewhere in the Old Testament where it said, uh, you know, God raises kings, what have you. Uh, he actually yeah, puts you know, the people if, in if power. If the state imposes
2: a tax on me, I'll pay the tax. I'm not worried about it. That's not where my heart is. And that's why I have a problem with this whole, you know, should I identify as a capitalist or a Marxist? It's like, man, I'm a Christian. I, don't get me wrong. Like, at the end of the day, I'm in a political system and it matters but my heart is not set on creating wealth or trying to finagle the state to do what I want it to do. My heart is set on being gracious with those around me and trying to live out of politics in my life, one of ethics and mercy and grace.
0: I don't don't understand how any Christ follower can be pro-capitalist. It doesn't make sense to me. The guy was relentless on the rich. Everything is pro-poor. I
2: generally agree with you.
0: See, but I, I would say, I don't know, and, and, and maybe
3: uh, Tyler, you're more of an expert on this, but I would say he wasn't against the rich. He was trying to persuade oh, yeah. people to give up their wealth. He was saying, like, you cannot be rich in this world and at the same time be transcendently rich. You, you cannot be both rich in matter and spirit if you are attached to that matter, meaning like, like it's OK to have wealth. As long as you understand that you have that wealth so that you can do good things with that wealth, you you can, you can, you know, give people jobs and you can build cars and and make electricity and stuff like
2: that. But, and, and you're right. And this is, this is important because what's happening is we're, we have wealth and wealth in the Christian narrative is not bad, but we need to use that wealth graciously. When our entrepreneurial works create a lot of wealth, we need to make sure that we're Gifting and being gracious with our employees and paying the paying them very well, not because they've necessarily earned it, but it's an extension of the grace of God, which has been extended to the Christian.
3: Yeah, and, and Robert, I'm going to go back. Like again, you are a master of, of finding people with whom I agree, because this <laughs> is just like you're stating in Christian terms what what I often try to state in more secular terms. But it's the it's the whole reason why I became a teacher is because. I want to help people to grow and develop. I think that is the highest calling of a human being is to is to help others, is to share what skills that you have in a way that is most impactful to the greatest amount of people. Um, and I think that if you want to, quote, unquote, save the world or, or solve the problems of corruption and capitalism and so on, the best way to do that is to follow that path and encourage people to follow along with you and that momentum in and of itself will ultimately reform the system. Like, I think it's, it's an error to think that, okay, well, if we go to the politicians who are already corrupt, okay, and ask them, all right, well, reform this political donation system so that the, the little guy has more say. So the politician is just gonna go, yeah, 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 sure, I'm gonna create this Patriot Act for the little guy, he's gonna call it something great, the media that's behind him is gonna market it, and people are gonna believe him, they're gonna vote for him, but behind the scenes, it's going to be GE and the, the corrupt individuals in power who will design the law in such a way that its end effect is less voice and, and less influence for the little guy. Whereas if we take the opposite approach and simply live our lives to the best of our ability in a sharing sense, as as Tyler is talking about, then that will create a positive momentum. And eventually people will become simply so focused on Doing good works, let's say, that they will they will no longer be transfixed by this monster that is the mass media that is mainstream
2: culture. I want to be clear and and this is a really nuanced point that I'm trying to make. Christians have this view of um, of original sin, which sort of plagues the human. It is like the um the stopping block for doing good in our lives. So, I don't want to be claiming that humans just need to buckle down and be altruistic, be good, and be moral people, and that will somehow save the world. You used savior language, and Christians have savior language. It's that someone else was our savior. And that's really important to understand, I think, if we're actually going to be carrying forward a Christian economic view, it's that we aren't going to be the saviors of the world, we aren't going to buckle down hard enough be moral and good enough, and then we'll finally achieve salvation. It's this whole gospel law distinction. The law for the Christians is sort of the moral code, which humans don't live up to. and So we need a savior. We can live out an ethical life, not because it earns us anything, not because it actually gives us anything, but because we know just how much we're loved. I
3: completely follow what you're saying. And just to be clear, I use the word savior as kind of a placeholder a placeholder to to quote unquote, save the world. What I mean by that is to reform the system, right? To The way I view things is that I, as a participant of the system, I have the power to send ripples of influence throughout the system. And I do not necessarily need to be at the controls of the machine, let's say, in order to do that. When you're talking about the, the, the corruptible nature of man or, or original sin, in secular terms, I would also agree with you in the sense that we are always prone to failure. And this would be a topic I would love to explore with you at, at, at some other point, but it might be a little bit off topic for this conversation, is how does one go about improving oneself and improving the world and, and, and sharing one's good works uh, what is the most effective way to do that? A Christian would probably say, well, you need Christ. A more mm-hmm. secular person might disagree with that. We, we might not agree on the means of how to to make yourself better, but I think we agree that it's not easy.
0: And for, more than it's not easy, it's exceedingly difficult. Okay, but piggybacking off of Jesus, the gospel is full of examples of him Uh, healing the blind man by, you know, picking up the dirt and spitting at it and rubbing on his eyes, or he was healing lepers left and right, right? A a lady touches his cloak and whatever bleeding condition she had had stopped, if I recall. Uh, There there was just tons of of these examples, people that couldn't walk. He made walk again. He clearly was concerned with health. So in my final argument concerning Jesus being a socialist, I kind of want to transition to the effect of capitalism on our health. Right now, it is impossible for people in the United States to purchase pharmaceutical products from Canada. Uh, This is something that I I actually know a little bit about. My day job is uh, R&D of pharmaceuticals. Democrats and Republicans alike fight against this. It's a little less significant on the Democratic side because, you know, some of them leaning farther left aren't like part of the the real dnc machine as it were and and a few a few republicans as well aren't aren't completely for that some of them see what it is but either way that there is a definite effect we are paying significantly more money for medicine in the united states than all other first world countries we even pay more for the internet and our internet sucks compared to most other uh, first world countries if you look at lobbying and this is a direct result of capitalism being able to affect our government, our political structures, and hurt democracy intentionally. Top 10 lobbyist groups, all right? U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that's 56 million a year. Now, that's a combination of just a whole bunch of businesses, okay? So that's not even really fair to say, like, that's the top one. That one incorporates a whole bunch of the others, many of the other nine that I'm about to name. Uh, Next one, National Association of Realtors, Open Society Policy Center, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, American Hospital Association, Blue Cross Blue Shield, American Medical Association, Amazon, Facebook, and Business Roundtable, another conglomerate of businesses. So out of this list, you've got two that incorporate multiple businesses, including pharmaceuticals and the medical community, but one, two, three, four, four out of this group are all concerned with pharmaceuticals and medicine, big pharma. This is affecting our health. Capitalism kills. People that cannot get the proper medical help that they need are cutting their prescription pills in half just so they can make it to the next payday. And some of these people don't make it. Well, I mean, that's, that's a fair point, Robert. And, and I, would, I would
3: add to that that, you know, what type of person goes into the medical field, right, the doctors are supposed to take the, the Hippocratic oath, I shall do no harm. And so, you know, pharmaceutical, maybe, you know, that's not the same as a doctor, but you're going to the same field. And the idea is you're you're going in there to help people. And what type of a monster would you have to be in order to go into the medical field with the desire to cut off competition
0: and cut off people's access to life-saving drugs? What are you talking about? Nobody Nobody's saying doctors and nurses. I'm, right, I'm, right, right. But I'm, 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 I'm trying in the to make field. A point. Like I, I do this every day. I'm not even. I'm not talking about myself. Obviously, I'm saying the system of capitalism. You're, you're misunderstanding me. That's that's not what I meant. What I meant is this. Okay, somebody is putting these limits on. Who is it? I'm not saying it's a who. I'm saying it's a what. It's a systemic it's problem. A, it's an alien. Look, capitalism it's not is not a who. It's a Individual what? actors. No, it's
3: composed of people. People at some point have to take action to write laws and then enact them.
0: No. Feudalism wasn't the fault of the king or the pope. Feudalism was a system that was falling apart. And if you were mm-hmm. in feudalism at the time, and you and I are arguing about it, and I'm saying, "Hey, there's something wrong with the system, man. What's going on?" And you and you are defending it, and you're like, "What? You're saying it's the king's fault?" Well, no, I'm not saying it's the king. I'm, I'm not any more than I'm saying it's the the potato farmer next door. I'm just saying the system mm-hmm. is flawed. We need to collectively start to prepare for its collapse and come up with a more improved system at a minimum even if you know even if you're not going to go with the marxist revolutionary perspective because trust me i got kids man i don't want a revolution anytime soon even after i'm gone (laughs) revolutions are bad historically you don't want to live during one you just want to be after it but even if you don't go that route and you're going to make the argument you know hey things are fine the way they are I got to disagree with you there, at least have some form of regulation. And everything that we've seen here recently due to the lobbyists, due to cutting back from our regulations that were already in place, is that we're going the wrong way. A CEO makes 400 times what his worker does on average. Did you know just half a decade ago, it was only 20 times, which is still disgusting because nobody works 20 times harder than his employee. I'm telling you, nobody does. You and I have both done management enough to know we didn't work 20 times harder than our employees. But 400 times? Get the fuck out of here.
2: So, so I think I, I probably lean towards the idea that the system itself is flawed. Um, when I consider what, cap, what makes up the presuppositions of capitalism, I see two things. One, that oftentimes when you're thinking about theoretically what is capitalism, it's the idea that people are inherently sinful. And, and that's premise one, people are inherently sinful. And premise two, we ought to harness that selfishness that's natural in humans to create an efficient machine, uh, which sort of generates this wealth, this wealth and power. And this is the capitalist narrative. It's like we're trying to gather together the selfishness of other people to create a sort of machine which produces wealth. Now, here, here's where I kind of fall into this. I hold to the first premise. I do think that people are selfish. The second premise, though, which says that, uh, you know, we ought to harness this selfishness to create a machine which kind of gives us more wealth. I think it leads exactly to the problem you're, you're talking about, which is this idea that CEOs have 400 times what their employees are making. These business owners who are frankly abusing their employees are not embodying the ethic, which I think they ought to be embodying. Now, the question is, how do you go about that? How do you go about changing the system so that that ethic can actually be lived out? Well, frankly, I think you actually have to come to faith in Christ. I think that's the only way we can actually begin to embody that ethic is by actually believing it.
3: So so Tyler, to your point, like if I were to choose between, let's say, a Bernie Sanders style socialist uh, trying to reform the system versus the approach that that you're uh, advocating, I would hands down go with your approach. The, the way I would look at it, to go back to what I was saying to you, Robert, earlier, is okay, so these CEOs make 400 times more than their employees. What are they doing with the money? Because you cannot spend all that money, you cannot live in 11 houses at once, etc. And number two is how would you convince them or persuade them to take up this gracious ethic? Because as I see it, that would be a viable solution. The question is, how do we get through to them? And that's kind of, to to go back to what uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier, Robert, that's kind of what I was saying when I said, who, right? Like, who is responsible? It's okay, we can, we can say the system or capitalism, but that is such an abstract thing. Like, yeah, of course, the system needs to be reformed. I think practically everybody who's, moderately interested in politics would agree with that position the argument is what types of reform how do we reform it what segments of the market and what segments of the political structure do we need to reform and how do we make sure that those reforms actually produce the outcomes that we're looking for right you were talking about revolutions earlier and and feudalism like before let's let's use france as an example there's the french revolution and and they went from feudalism to outright just mass murder via the guillotine and back to dictatorship through Napoleon. And it, and it took them like realistically probably 100 years before they became the modern France that we know today. So how do you do it? And, and so that's, that's why I was asking who. I'm, I'm asking for specifics, concrete things that we can talk about. Because if you say, yeah, we need to reform the system. Yeah, we need to make sure people get their medicine. Well, hell yeah, we do, right. well, but there, if we do it no... in a way, that, that causes blowback and unintended consequences, that's not going to help anybody.
0: Yeah. And once again, I'm not talking about a who. Or, I don't even want to try to convince a CEO to do anything. I want to limit what he can and can't do with law. Litigiously. I, I want to make changes via the government that will regulate companies from taking advantage of these loopholes. This has happened before. We've faced the situation in the past, and it got so bad post the Dust Bowl that the government had to come in and make a ton of changes with the uh, Roosevelt's New Deal. And this is a product of the government continually trying to patch up this leaking hole. When it was actually, and I might agree with you a little bit here uh, on your kind of anarchistic leanings as it were, where this is actually created by the government in the first place. Okay, so after the Black Plague, everybody was either dead, dying, or leaving the farms and grouping up into the city. This started to create an urbanization all over Europe that led to mercantilism, which post-colonialism led to uh, the Industrial Revolution, and that's how we get capitalism today. And the reason that that happened was because the government said, we've got to find a way to still generate money because we're not getting any of the crops and the products from the people anymore. They're all just in the city, filling it full of disease, right? So what did they make? Taxes. Capitalism is a result of taxation. Taxation created capitalism. The market is controlled by big government. And all I'm saying is right now, big government is letting the capitalists get a larger voice and we're losing our voice. We're losing our first amendment rights day by day by day, and it's happening exponentially. The closer we get toward the failing end of capitalism, the more wacky and crazy it's getting. And we're seeing results. If you want, to, you want to see how people responded to uh, the Vietnam War, just look at the music of the time or look at the protests in the, in the street. Look at how the government responded to it with Kent State. You want to see how people are responding to this major wealth gap that keeps stretching farther and farther apart? What is our protest and activism right now? Well, you've had it on both sides of the political spectrum. On the left, you had the Occupy movement, you know, the whole 99 percenters, as it were. On the right, you had the Tea Party. The left pushes somebody. What's their major candidate? Bernie Sanders. Even though the DNC doesn't want you to believe that, obviously, <laughs> nobody gives a fuck about Joe Biden. I've never met anybody that said, you know, I really like that Joe Biden. Not once. And I know a <laughs> lot of fucking liberals. It's all lies. Bernie Sanders, maybe Elizabeth, because she's copying him. People like Tulsi. These kinds of people are fighting back against the corporate takeover of America. And what do you get on the right? You get a businessman that comes forward and says, hey, I paid all your campaign funds, all these people. The moment he stood on that stage in 2016 and said that to in front of America, that's when people started really rooting for Trump because he wasn't wrong about that. He's, he lies about a lot of shit, but he was right about that one. The game is fixed. And he said he's going to drain the swamp. And they said, let's throw a fucking orange colored Molotov into this corporate capitalistic <laughs> system. And the next time it happens, it might be on the left or it might be on the right again. But this is the protest song of America is saying that the system is failing. Certainly. That's I
3: would agree with you in spirit and in principle. And that's certainly true. We are going through a paradigm shift is the way I would call it. The question remains, what will we see on the other side? It will it will be probably another decade at least before we get a semblance of what the new paradigm will, will really look like. My theory is that the internet generation really has to come of age, so that's gonna take another 20 years, right, for, for millennials to get into their 40s and 50s, and, and because that's typically when people get the most power and, and money and so on. But to, to kind of go on a, on a couple points that you made, because like you, you said a lot, and like a lot of the things, and maybe I'm misinformed, that's, that's certainly possible, but a lot of the things that you talked about, I would have a different view on them, a different interpretation. For example, Vietnam, you're saying that the, the Vietnam protests were a result of wealth disparity. Well, there there are uh, sociological theories which say the only reason that people protested Vietnam is because of the draft, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the reason Vietnam I'm, got got such huge protests is because people didn't want to be drafted. Yeah, 100%, Whereas you compare I'm, the I'm, Iraq war. The Iraq war was arguably just as damaging. Maybe not as many Americans died, but, but financially and economically, it caused an economic crisis just like the Vietnam war. But... Basically, nobody protested it or people protested it, but it was n- nowhere near the numbers uh, and the momentum of Vietnam. Um, the second thing, uh, when you're talking about, you know, reforming the system and kind of to, to go all the way back when you were talking about recessions and stuff, let's take a closer look at the Federal Reserve and its influence and how it causes um, the these boom bust cycles. And every time a boom bust cycle happens, somebody like a Soros comes up, short sells a bunch of companies and then uh when when it, when it hits bottom he fucking buys a shitload more and expands his wealth and power let's let's look at situations like that i think a lot of people on the left when they say oh we need to reform capitalism they're either afraid or they don't want to look at these situations and these situations are real and these are the concrete situations of where our power is being taken from us no
0: absolutely absolutely and and i'm sorry if i implied that my point was about the vietnam war being about the wealth gap i was just saying if, if you want to look at what the american public is thinking look at the protest at the time and i was using the protest against the war saying that's what the people were thinking about and protest against corporatism that we're seeing now is what the people are thinking now i, I was just trying to use that as an analogy but i'm with you 100 brother let's audit the pentagon and let's audit the goddamn Fed, and let's do it yesterday.
3: Damn straight. So let's bring Christ along for the ride, see what he has to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He, he, He would agree with us there. Fight the man. He certainly tried to. He failed. Tyler, Michael, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I did not expect you guys to agree on as much as you did. I'm usually trying to find common ground with people, you know, like, like almost moderating the conversation. And this one, it almost seemed like you guys kind of agreed on more than I could agree with either of you on. So it, it was a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, it
2: was
0: great. Thanks a ton. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was, it was a pleasure as always. Thank you to Michael and Tyler. Thank you to Dave Blair. Thank you to our patrons. You can also support this broadcast at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more at the righttoreason.com. Next week, I'll be discussing consciousness with Andrew Jasko. Between now and then, remember that you have the right to reason. Oh.
1: I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's brother no more. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. He hands you a dime, he asks you with the grid, and you have a good time the time he finds you every time you slam the door. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I'm not gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I
2: ain't gonna work on
1: Maggie's Farm no more.
2: I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no more. I
1: ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no more. No, I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no more. Well, I try my best to be just like I am. But everybody wants you to be just like Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How the many price. stations does this You've go out You've got to get actually. mad. Say, I, I know it goes to Louisville and Atlanta. we're not going to take this anymore. Then we'll figure out what to do about the Depression and the inflation and the oil crisis. But first, get up out of your chairs, open the No! stick your head out and yell and say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.
0: Who are you talking to, Herb? CGG
1: Atlanta. Are
0: they yelling in Atlanta,
1: Herb? Are they yelling in Atlanta, Ted? But first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. They're yelling in Baton Rouge. Stick your head out of the window, open it, and stick your head out and keep yelling. And yell, I'm as mad as hell, I'm not going to take this anymore. Just get up from your chairs right now. Go to the window. Where are you window. going? I Everybody, don't want to see if anybody's yelling. Window, open it and stick your head out and yell and keep yelling. I'm... I'm mad as hell! I'm not gonna take this anymore! I'm mad as hell! I'm not gonna take it anymore! I'm mad as hell! I'm not gonna take it anymore! I'm mad as hell! I'm not gonna take it anymore! I'm, mad as hell. I'm not gonna take it anymore!